Welcome to another podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. You can find out more about CGI Burlington on our website at cgiburlington.org. Good afternoon, everyone. I hope all of you had a wonderful week. And please excuse me, I don't want to get my jacket today, I don't want to get hot. And maybe you can see a little bit difference in my voice. I think I, I got a little bit of cold from this guy sitting right here in the first row. He passed the mild version of it. And the good thing about this cold, let me share the great story first before I get into my message. I think it was Thursday night. We were sitting by the fire. And we were singing. And I throw in my line. And just everybody just look at me, especially Ivan and Jessica. He's like, wow, unbelievable. You can sing. <laughs> That's the only time in my whole life that I could actually sing properly in a deep, deep man's voice. <laughs> I wish I had this, that I could have this gift of singing because I love to sing. I just don't have a voice for it. But I enjoy singing very much. So hopefully my voice will last through. I know Teresa's in rush, so I'll try to finish an hour and a half, if I can. So as you heard the title, why does God give us his Holy Spirit? If you can't think for a whole week, five nights, not whole week, you have so much time on your hands. You enjoy the beauty around you, you enjoy the water, you enjoy the creations, and you know, all kind of questions comes into your mind. At one time, I was so bored, I was looking at the little stones by the beach there, and I'm thinking like, wow... How many of them there can be like just lying down on the beach? Probably billions of them, right? And I was thinking in my head, I wonder, I didn't have my phone on, so I couldn't check it, right? You're away from Mr. Google, right? Whatever answer you need, Mr. Google is always available, but I didn't have my phone. So I was thinking in my head, how many religions are out there in the world? And you know what? And I was trying to guess and I tried to estimate and how wrong I was. Guess what? I came, we came back home on Friday around afternoon, and Friday evening, I was trying to finish my message. But before I actually went to my message, I Google it. How many religions we have out there in the world? Any guesses? Not you, because you know. Any guesses? 400. Very good. Anyone else? Any number? 400. 2,800. I was so wrong, brethren. I was so wrong when I guessed. You know how many religions are out there? I got around 50, so I was way off. Way off. So I guessed, and the Wikipedia says there are about 4,200 different religions. 4,200 different religions. And, you know, I actually get a little deeper into thinking. He said, this is a good thing. The way, why is it a good thing? Because we are, as a human being, we strive to get to know the unknown. And that's why we're searching. We're searching. We're designed. We're a program to have this creator, this powerful God in our hearts. And we just, we just don't know. So we search. But we find to... We try to search and find God according to our own image. So I did, I'm thinking, I'm going to do a little bit deeper study. How many different Sabbath-keeping churches or groups are out there? Any idea? 
the Sabbath-keeping churches out there around the world. How many? Give me a number. 1,200. 400. You are way, way closer now than before. 500. Think about it. 500 different Sabbath-keeping groups are out there that are officially that are officially registered. So maybe closer to 1,200 with the little independent group that no one probably knows about it or don't know anything about it. So when you get to think about it, 500 different groups and maybe the other ones that are not officially registered, question is, do all of these people have God's Holy Spirit? Do all of these people, all of these churches, have God's Holy Spirit? They all think they do. We think we have God's Holy Spirit. Otherwise, we wouldn't be here, right? We don't have to be a Sabbath keepers. We can be a Sunday keepers. All these people out there, they're thinking they're doing something great for God. They all think they all belong to God. They all have God's Holy Spirit. Why would God give us His Holy Spirit? Why would God give to anybody His Holy Spirit? What are the reasons? What are the purposes? Let's start from the beginning. You have to do some reviews here first. Before we get to the matter of the, to the question that we're actually asking here. Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, and we, we covered this a little bit more than a few months ago, but I just want to start right here. In the Garden of Eden, <clears throat> Genesis chapter 2, and verse 15. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. And we know what happened. They all tried it, and they, they all ate this forbidden fruit or this, from this forbidden tree. So what happened that day? You know, some of you might remember that about six or seven months ago, we actually had a little kind of, kind of like a Bible study about this that I presented. But that, this verse was a very shocking revelation to me, because I never pay attention to all these details here before. But if God says here that, for in that day that you eat of it, you shall surely die, was God lying back then? Because we know that Adam and Eve they didn't die that day. But God is very specific. You will surely die. And not just on any other day, not 900 years later, or 100 years later, he says, on that day you shall surely die. So what kind of that day experience? Right there after eating from, the, from, the, from this tree of the knowledge of evil. What do they do? They experience Spiritual death. The lost, the connection to the Father 
through the Holy Spirit. And since that day, humankind is trying to find a way, according to their own image, the connection to the Creator. That's why we have so many different religions out there. We can't live without it. We are not created to live without the Creator, without God. Whether we realize or not, but this is true. We are created in His own image, and we search, and we look, and we try to find answers from the unknown and everything that surrounds us for the you know, next life and all of other stuff, no matter what kind of religion it might be. But in that day, they experienced spiritual death. They didn't die physically because they used to live, have other children, and they used to live to almost like a thousand years. After eating this, this fruit. And now, once they were expelled from the Garden of Eden, thank God that the whole mighty Creator didn't give, give up on a humankind. As we move forward to Genesis chapter 12 here. Genesis chapter 12. Now suddenly, God's appear to Abram. And he makes, and God made a great promise here. Genesis chapter 12 and verse 2. He says, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This is the first promise to the first man, which was then called Abram, about the future events that will happen along the way. Move forward, Genesis chapter 15. God here directed rectified the covenant that we made with Abraham. And in verse 15, at this, at this time, Abraham is only, only, back then was just only 75 years old. Today is not just only 70, 75 years old. And he still, he still doesn't have any children at that time. So here in Genesis chapter 15, verse 13, it says, Then he said to Abram, Know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in the land that is not theirs, and will serve them, and they will afflict them four hundred years. And also the nations whom they serve I will judge. Afterwards they shall come out with great possession. And now as for you, Abram, you shall go to your fathers in peace, and you shall be buried at good old age. By in the fourth generation they shall return here, for the inequity of the Amorites is not yet complete. And God ratified the covenant with Abram at that time. And he is a very specific here. He says, you know, we don't have any children, but I'm telling you, four generations from, from, you know, after you, you will become a great nation. Don't worry about you. You'll go to sleep. You'll not experience all of it. But you'll become a great nation, and I'll take these great nations out of Egyptian, Egypt, Egyptian bondage. We move a little bit farther. Genesis chapter 17. Genesis chapter 17 and verse 4 here. As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be a father of many nations. And no longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham. 
for I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you, and then and your descendants after you in their generations for an everlasting covenant. And why? Because God wants to have this relationship with humankind, his creation, he says, to be God to you and your descendants after you. So as we can see, it's not just Abraham anymore. Now he's talking about the nations, talking about the descendants that he says, I will keep my covenant not just with you, but with your descendants. And as you study the life of Abraham, you wonder what was so special about this gentleman. Why is so special in God's own, own, own eyes? And, you know, to find the answer, we just have to move to Genesis chapter 26. Genesis chapter 26. And Genesis chapter 26, and here in verse 4, he says, And I'll make your descendants multiply as the stars of heaven. And now he's not talking to Abraham, but he's talking to his son Isaac. But why is so important? I'll give to your descendants all these lands, and, you shall, and, and in your seed all the descendants of the earth shall be blessed. And verse 5, what was so special about this man Abraham? Because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. Something what Adam fell in the garden and Eve, Abraham was able to do. And because he was so obedient, God established a covenant, not just with him, but through all the generations. Just go back to Genesis chapter 22. That's when Abraham was still alive and almost sacrificed his son. And verse 16, Genesis chapter 22, and verse 16. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son. Blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven. Uh, and as the sand which is on the seashore, and your descendants shall possess the gates of their enemies. And verse 18, in your seed, in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. Because of one man, his obedience, God extend his blessings now, not just to the nation, but to the all nations of the earth shall be blessed in you. And he says, in your seed. I have to find and define what it means, the seed. And we don't, we don't have any problem because we know already. We just have to go to Galatians. Galatians chapter 3. And here Apostle Paul make, makes for us plain what God meant there. Galatians chapter 3. And in verse 15, Galatians chapter 3 and verse 15, Brethren, I speak in the manner of men, though it is only a man's covenant, yet if it's confirmed, no one honors or adds to it. Verse 16, Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. So Abraham and his seed 
where the promise is made. And he does not say, and to the seeds, as of many, but as of one, and to your seed, who is who? Who is Jesus Christ. So through the seed, all the nations will be blessed, including the nation of Israel. Go back to Exodus. Exodus chapter 14. Exodus chapter 12. Now just remember what God promised to Abram in, in Genesis chapter 15, right? He says, you're going you're gonna to be dead and buried for a long time. And, you know, you'll have a nation. And he says, I'll take these nations out of the slavery. Exodus chapter 12. God just acting of his promise, what he did to, the, to Abram. Exodus chapter 12 and verse 40. Now, the surgeon of the children of Israel who lived in Egypt was 430 years. What did he promise to Abraham back then, to Abraham? Your descendants will be in slavery for how long? 400 years. Verse 41. And it came to pass at the end of 430 years, it came to pass, not just came to pass, but on the very same day, or self-same day, if you have a King James Version, it came to pass that all the armies of the, of, the Lord, of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. What God promised, God fulfilled to the day, to the hour, what he promised to Abram. Exodus chapter 19. From a nation of slaves in Egypt, they become a nation of a mighty God. In a split second. Exodus chapter 19, verse 5. He took these nations. He tested these nations through the wilderness. Verse 5, Exodus chapter 19, verse 5. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all the people. For all the earth is mine, and it shall be to me a kingdom of priests and holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. And what happened? Were they really obedient? Absolutely not. They just collapsed. The whole ten tribe were just moved out of the land. Dispersed among all the other nations. What happened, to the God's, what happened to the God's promise? Then in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Just before we go there, I would like to go to Revelation chapter 21. What happened to God's promise? When God's make a promise, He's going to Make sure that he will accomplish everything what he promised. Revelation chapter 21, just one verse here. And we are so blessed to have the whole written book of God, that we actually have the book of Revelation and a bunch of other books. Abraham wasn't that blessed back then, and even though whatever he knew, he was very obedient to God's voice and God's law. Revelation chapter 21, just one verse here, verse, verse 3. The conclusion of the whole matter. Of the human journey. And I heard a loud voice. From the heaven saying. Behold the tabernacle of God. Which is with man. 
And he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. And that's what we're all waiting for, this awesome moment, that eventually we'll be able to be with our God and see him face to face. But there is a process. It's not just happen right away. So through all of this thing, in the Paul in Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 1 here, in Ephesians chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 1, 13. And I'm reading here from, from the New King James Version, Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 13. In him, just breaking into the context in, in him you also trusted, after you hear the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit, and highlight this word, the Holy Spirit of what? Of promise. Let me read you this verse, but this time from the New Living Translation. From the New Living Translation, the same verse. And now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believe in Christ, he identifies you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit whom he promised long ago. When did God promise? The Spirit, when in this case Paul says, was promised long, long ago. So, there are many prophets that are actually speaking. So, I'm not going to cover all of the prophets, but I'm going to cover some of the major ones. Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 36. Ezekiel chapter 36. So he's writing this book, just right before the destruction of Jerusalem. And here in verse 20. Actually, let's start reading from 16 just to have the full background to the story. At what stage the, the holy nations that were supposed to be, how they behaved. Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 16. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, when the half of Israel dwelt in their own land, they defiled it by their own ways and deeds. To me, their way was like uncleanness of a woman in her customary impurity. Therefore, I pour out my fury on them for the blood that they had shed on the land and for their idols with which they had defiled it. Verse 19, so I scattered them among the nations, and they were dispersed throughout the countries. I judged them according to their ways and their deeds. When they came to the nations, wherever they went, they profaned my holy name. When they said of them, these are the people of the Lord, and yet they have gone out of this land. Verse 21, but I had concern. 
for my holy name, which the house of Israel had, had profaned among the nations wherever they went. My name, my own name is at stake here. It's not the nation of Israel. My whole name is at stake there. And the promises that I made to your forefathers, I will still carry it through, what I promised. Verse 22. Therefore say to the house of Israel. So, house of Israel does not, does not any longer exist. It's just the Judah. Just before, just before the destructions of the temple. Therefore say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, I do not do this for your sake, O house of Israel, but for my holy name's sake, which you have profaned among the nations wherever you went. But verse 23 comes another promise. And I will sanctify my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned in their midst. And the nations shall know that I am the Lord, says the Lord God, when I am hallowed in your in you before their eyes. How this thing's going to be accomplished? Verse 24. For I, will take, for, for I will take you from among the nations, gather you out of all countries, and bring you into your own land. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. And verse 26. And I will give you a new heart, and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh. And give, you a, and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you. And cause you to walk in my statutes. And you will keep my judgments. And do that. So in the midst of distractions. God makes this beautiful promise. To the nation of Israel again. Just go back to Ezekiel chapter 10, just for a second here. God is about to destroy the one of the most sacred building that was standing in Jerusalem. And here in chapter 10, look here at verse 18. Ezekiel chapter 10, verse 18. Then the glory or the presence of the Lord... Depart from the threshold of the temple and just stood over the cherubim. God is slowly, he's leaving. He left the holy of holiness. Now he's, at the, he's, he's leaving almost his holy temple. He's moving away from his people, from this place that he was supposed to be talking to his, to his people. And then just go chapter 11 here to verse 23. Chapter 11, Ezekiel chapter 11, 23. It says, and the glory of the Lord went up from the midst of the city. It's not just God's presence going away from the temple, from the threshold of the temple. Now, the God's glory of the Lord went up from the midst of the city and stood on the mountain, which is on the east side of the city. God's glory is moving away before its total destructions of one of the holiest places of Judaism. In the middle... Of all this horrible news that's happening, God again speaks to the prophet Ezekiel. And look what he says in verse 17. Therefore say, thus says the Lord God, I will gather you from the peoples, assemble you from the countries where you have been scattered, and I will give you the land of Israel. Verse 17. 
And they will go there, and they will take away all its detestable things and its abominations from there. And verse 19, then I will give you, then I will give them one heart, and I will put a new spirit within them, and take the stony heart out of their flesh, and give them a heart of flesh. And verse 20, that they may walk, that they may walk in my statutes, if you make a note in your Bible, if you make a highlight, you can highlight walk. That they may walk in my statutes and keep, you want to highlight, keep my judgments and do them, highlight do them. And they shall be my people, to highlight be, be my people and I will be their God. You see the sequence there, what Ezekiel is writing? We'll come back to this a little bit later. But before all of this thing happened, something spectacular, something miraculous need to take place. And in Ezekiel is describing here as God will take the heart that is in us, the heart that is beating in our chest, will take it away, and he will give us a new heart. He's not just speaking that we just go under the surgery and the little things will be added to it, a little improvements. And, you know, I don't believe that God is speaking that Ezekiel is writing here, just about the physical heart that is keeping us alive in our chest. It's more than that. He's, he's just speaking about what's, what's inside us. What makes us who we were, who we are. You know, we have the tendency to do not just good, but we have tendency as a human being to do the evil one. Where does this come from? It's about everything. Our love, our emotions, the passions, hatreds. Everything is inside us. We're capable to do all of this stuff. And, you know, the day is coming. That God says, I will need to take all away from you. I will need to do not just transplant of your heart, but I have to give you. You have to go through the rebirth process again. You need to be born again so I can accomplish all the other things that I'm talking about here. So as I said, since the Garden of Eden, once we try this fruit, we are capable not just to do good, to do good, we also as well capable to do evil and that's what the humanity is all about as we live here we can experience all of this happen you know even at the same time so how will god accomplish all of this thing we have to go to another prophet one of the major prophets let's go to jeremiah jeremiah chapter 31 Jeremiah chapter 31, in verse 31. Now, there is a different prophet. Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 31. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand, by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant, which they broke, Though I was husband to them, says the Lord. Verse 33. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds. And write it, and write it on their hearts. And again, and I will be their God. And they shall be my people. Not before. After we shall be. We shall be his people, and he shall be our God. How has God accomplished all of this? Through a new covenant. Through a new covenant, and through his own 
spirit. Now, we have a little bit background, right? A little bit review. What happened in the Garden of Eden and how is God working slowly up the process? Because he just, he, just, he just wants us. He just wants to have a relationship with the human being. And we are designed to have this relationship with our creator. So he's working. This process of salvation He's trying to accomplish it. There is a way how it needs to be done. So now, why God gave us his Holy Spirit? Why there is so much confusion? When you would ask people, anyone, why would give us his Holy Spirit? You'll get probably as many people that will be standing in the room. You'll probably get so many different answers. Why did God give you? His Holy Spirit. So, to all the time that I have left, I can't. It's impossible to give, me, to give you all the reasons why God gave us His Holy Spirit. So, I think in my opinion, I'll just, we'll just cover the, the few, the major ones. And maybe we see how this thing will go. Maybe we'll have a part two to this message. Maybe coming a little bit later. Point number one. Why do we need God's Holy Spirit? Why God needs to give us His Holy Spirit? Why? To reestablish the last connection with the Creator. Reestablish the last connection that we lasted in the Garden of Eden. If we don't have these connections, we can communicate. We can say all we want to God. God doesn't hear us. You know, it was interesting. When we were going camping, we had to take two cars because I get rid of my van. One when we could park everything and my whole family we could just go with one car. Now we have smaller cars, so you have to take two of them. So for the road as you drive, the best tool, the best way to communicate, you know, how many of you know, it's walkie-talkie. It's a great tool of communication because, you know, your cell phone is good. By the time you call somebody, it's going to take a few seconds. And by the time somebody answers it or you try to text it and type, it might be well too late. You know, we see something like, let's say there is a rest area you want to call just hit the button and say, hey, guys, there is a rest area. You want to stop it? And just in the seconds, you hear the answer, yes. So for us to communicate between two cars, we have walkie-talkie, right? But it's just more than walkie-talkie. I have walkie-talkie, and my children have walkie-talkie in the other car. But guess what? We have to be on the same channel. We have to be on the same channel, and even more, we have to be on the same frequency. Other people might have walkie-talkies. There's probably all the truckers and everybody. Tons of people operate in walkie-talkie. To hear each other, we have to be on the same channel, on the same sequence. Guess what? If you want to have connections with God, you have to be on the same channel, you have to be on the same sequence. And what Adam and Eve did in the garden, it's impossible for us by our own strength to regain these connections with our Creator. It's up to Him not to us. Only he can show us how to connect with him. So why God gave us his Holy Spirit? So we can reestablish the last connection with the Creator. And let's go to Romans. We have to be on the same frequency. We have to be with God on the same channel of communication. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 and verse 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. 
Verse 15, for you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cried out, Abba, Father. Without the spirit, it's impossible to do that. You can cry. You can go. Go to your backyard. Go to your closet. If you don't have God's Holy Spirit, you can cry all the way you want to. God will not hear you. God will not answer you. Because he can hear you. You're not on the same channel. You're not on the same frequency. First Corinthians chapter 2. First Corinthians chapter 2. Look at verse 10. First Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 10. But God has revealed them to us through what? Through his spirit. For the spirit searches all things. Yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of man except the spirit, the spirit of the man which is in him. Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the word, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know that, that we might know the things that, that have been freely given to us by God. Verse 13. These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. You can't understand the Word of God if you don't have the Spirit of God in you. Because when you start reading to them, they will make just no absolute no sense to you at all. You don't have, you're not on the same channel. You're not on the same frequency. That's why, brethren, we have so many religions out there. They try to find a way how to talk to God, but they use their own way of communication, which doesn't work. Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Thank to God, through Jesus Christ, that he reestablished the last connection that we have with our creator. Ephesians chapter 2. Verse 11. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. Therefore, remember the Jew, one Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands, that at the time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenant of promises, having no hope and without God in the world, but now in Jesus Christ, you, who once were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Now we have the connection reestablished with our Creator one more time through the blood of Jesus Christ. Just skip down to verse 17. And he came and preached peace to you who are afar off and to those who are, who are near. For through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Otherwise, we're dead. But now we have the access by one spirit to the Father. And now, and now therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Having been built on the foundations of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together, 
grows into a holy temple in the Lord. And verse 22, in whom you also are being built together for what? For a dwelling place of God in the Spirit, which one day will come, as we read in Revelation chapter 21. Why would God give us his Holy Spirit? First, to reestablish the connection. What else? Why would God give us his Holy Spirit? So we can keep God's law and be on the same page. To keep God's law. Go back to Ezekiel chapter 11. there. One more time. Ezekiel chapter 11. Ezekiel chapter 11, read this verse 20 one more time. God's going to go through all this trouble. For what? Verse 20. That they may walk in my statutes and keep my judgments and do them. And they shall be my people and I'll be their God. What does all this thing mean? To walk in my statutes. If you don't have God's Holy Spirit... God's law doesn't mean much to you anyway. Not at all. Once you have God's Holy Spirit, suddenly everything changes. Now we look at God's law and you start to delight in it. And you start to see how short you come when it comes to the obedience of all of God's commandments. And you're grateful for God's mercy towards you. That God gives you this chance. Reconnections again through the blood of Jesus Christ. So he says, to walk in my statutes. And he says, to keep my judgments. To us, when God says that something is holy, we don't argue with this. If God says this is holy, this is good. It means this is holy, this is good. If God says this is evil, this is not good. We don't argue. We say this is evil and this is not good. Now look at the rest of the humankind. What's happening now? Total. It's a change. Opposite change. What God says is good and it's holy. People say this is not good, this is not holy. What God says this is evil, this is not good. People say no, these things are good and these things are not evil. Upside down. Total change. Why? Because people don't have God's Holy Spirit, they can't discern nothing. They don't abide of God's law, they can't. They can't. They don't observe His judgments. And eventually, as we walk through this process, as we become more and more obedient to God's Holy Spirit, we start just to do them. They just become a part of life. We just do them every day. We don't even think about it. We don't need to meditate, because we know that this is good and this is wrong. I'm supposed to do this thing, and I'm not supposed to do the other thing. And we just move on. And eventually, as we become better and better at all these things, through the work of God's Holy Spirit in us, just can't wait till this moment that we become His people, and He shall become our God. And it's interesting, the sequence, how Ezekiel is writing here. Do you remember when you were born? You know, no, no one remembers when you were born. No one remembers here the moment that you start walking because you're too small. But the hardest things to do for, for children 
is to step up on their two, two legs and they start walking. This is one of the hardest things, one of the most difficult lessons they have to learn. And, you know, as they start, you know, standing on their feet and keep, you know, and balance starts walking, then what's happening for parents? Like, oh, no, now they're going to be all over the place. Now, the area that was available for them before when they were just crawling on the floor, now I have to watch it for them and teach them because now they can, they can actually walk and they can touch with their little hands area that before they were not able to touch, like stuffs, like some cabinets. They could put some knives, some sharp knives or whatever. Right? Remember? That's what happened, right? So that's what happened to the little children. As they start to walk, we try to, you try, try to teach them how to keep some of the serious consequences, how to keep the law, basically, so to speak. As they navigate through life, as they grow, they not just keep walking, you know, and keeping the commandments. They start doing that. It's become a natural thing. They have to. They have to grow up eventually, physically, right? They have to grow up and live by it. And at the end of their lives, like, you know, we have some of the young people here, when they give up their life to Christ and they're baptized, what a joy it is for parents to say, these are my kids. I'm so proud of them. The same thing will happen here in Ezekiel. As we're learning all this stuff across the way, we shall be his people. He shall be our God. Very proud of us. There's no shortcuts to this process. No shortcuts. So, reason number one, that God gave us his Holy Spirit. Reestablish the connection. Reason number two, so we can keep his law. Reason number three, so we can preach this good news to others. There's no any other way. So we need to learn how to do that. Book of Acts chapter 1. Book of Acts chapter 1. Book of Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. But you shall receive power. Power. When the Holy Spirit has come, up, has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me. In Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria. And to the end of the earth. And when I read this passage. How can I become a witness? I never experienced Jesus Christ's crucifixion. I never experienced Jesus Christ's resurrection. So I'm not, an actual, I'm not an actual witness. But I believe through the other people's writings. So this power was for this people and for something that would follow after them. Let's find out. Let's move to Luke. Gospel of Luke chapter 24. Gospel of Luke at the end of his gospel. Luke chapter 24 and verse 46. Luke chapter 24 and verse 46. Then he said to them, Thus it written. So Luke is totally different language now. He says, This is written. What is it written? It's contained in our Bibles. This is written, and thus it was necessary for, for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. Verse 47. And that repentance and remissions of sin should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. Ah, oh, 
We can do that. We are not witnesses of his crucifixion or not witnesses of his resurrection. But we have the sources, the other people who witnesses and wrote it for us. But what we can do, we can preach. We can preach to other people about the remissions of sins and about the repentance, right? And verse 48. He repeats to his disciples, and you are witnesses of these things. Behold, I send the promise of my father, verse 49, upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with the power from on high. Matthew 28. Matthew chapter 28. There at the end of the gospel. Some another important information why God gives us his Holy Spirit so we can preach the good news. In what way? Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28, and here in verse 18. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Verse 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. Make disciples of all the nations. That's our job to do. That's why God gave us the Holy Spirit. And verse 20. As we make the disciples for Christ, not for us, disciples for Christ, teaching them, to observe all things that I have that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Why will God give us His Holy Spirit so we can preach the good news? We can teach, preach, and teach. There are two different things. We are obligated to do all of these things and make disciples. Reason number four. Just one comes naturally from another. Why God gave us His Holy Spirit? To accomplish all these things, to, you know, to have all this special power, have this ability to preach, have this ability to teach, to make the disciples, sustain all, all the other things. We need what? We need God's spiritual gifts. So the fourth point will be the gifts of the Holy Spirit. The gifts of the Holy Spirit. God doesn't just give me a gift so I can sit at home and be proud of it. Sit in my chair and say like, wow, look at me. I'm so great. I'm so awesome. There is a work to do. Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. And verse 11. And he himself gives some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. For what reasons? Verse 12. For the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry. So there is a ministry going on. That he needs to equip some people to deal with this thing. And what's the next thing? And for the edifying of the body of Christ. We all need edification at one point and another. Not just coming from this point. But between ourselves. Between our conversation we have one with another. Verse 13. Till we all come to the unity of faith. And of the knowledge of the Son of God. To a perfect man. To the measure of the, of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So in the body of Christ, we never, ever compare ourselves to ourselves. 
you know, can never say like, you know, like, hey, I am the most important guy here because you know what? Guess what? I speak today. And then you know what? Dylan would say, oh, I am the second most important guy because I'm a worship leader and I'm a boss today. I decide what's going to go on and what's not going to go on here today. You know, and Jessica can say, hey, I play piano. So I'm the most, one of the most important ladies here in this church. We can go on like that all the time. It doesn't work like that. If you want to compare yourself, compare yourself to Jesus Christ. To his statues, not to anybody else. Compare yourself to Jesus Christ. And that will be evident how short you come. Because if you start to comparing yourself to anybody else in the church, you say, hey, I am not as bad as, let's say, the other guy, like let's say Daniel here. I'm a little better than him. You know, I'm a sister. I'm, you know, I'm a woman. I have, you know, I've lived through so many different things. I'm so much better than, you know, this other sister. When you start doing this thing, you're not edifying ourselves. You actually start to destroy ourselves. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 for a second here. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So there is a whole list of different gifts. I'm not going to go through all of this. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And in verse 29 here. Are all apostles? 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 29. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Are all workers of miracles? Do all have gifts of healings? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? Verse 31. But earnestly desire the best gift. But before you start designing the gifts, he says, I have to show you a more excellent way. Before you start worrying what is your gift and how I can, you know, be a full participant, you worry about this thing, a more excellent way. What is that more excellent way? That's whole chapter 13, which I don't have time to go through all of this thing. But here at the end of chapter 13, in verse 13, Paul writes here, And now abide faith. Hope, love, there's three, but the greatest of this is love. Before you worry about what is your gift, you make sure, you make sure that you love one another. Chapter 14, verse 1. 14, verse 1. Pursue gift. That's what it says there. What does it say? Pursue love. Once you just think, once you pursue love and you're really good at it, then he says, and then desire spiritual gift. But, if you're not sure what you want spiritual gift, then he says, but especially that you may prophesy. Oh, why this thing is so big in Paul's writings? Why prophesy? It depends what kind of definition we take of prophecy. But, we skip down to verse 3. Why is prophecy so, it's not just prophecy, it doesn't mean just predict the difference. Prophecy just means that I speak to my brethren according to the words of God. And I can encourage them and edify them. Verse 3. But he who prophesies speak edification and exhortations and comfort to men. If you worry about what you give us, find the excellent way first. And then if you desire, 
Study the Word of God so you can encourage every single one of them when you come to church or through the week and send them a message. And, you know, we all know of this. I know from my own experience. In my worst days, the best thing was if somebody sent me a text or a call me, say, brother, I love you. I love you. I'll be with you no matter what. I'll be with you to the end. That's it. That's it. That's what made my day. Simple few words. And, you know, some of you would go even deeper. Jen, why don't you read this passage? You know what it means? Absolutely. Thank you, brother. Thank you, sister. It's great. We're on the same page. I'm a little down. I'm a little discouraged. Maybe I fell out of the race for a little bit. But thank you for keeping me in your prayers. Thank you for encouraging me. Thank you for keeping me in line. Maybe I, maybe I overstepped my boundaries. Thank you for slapping me in my, on my wrist, on my head. Hey, what are you doing here? Why are you doing all of this? And now, so we cover this. Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts. Everything is about love, and we, which, which, which actually will lead us to the next reason why God gave us his Holy Spirit. So we can have, God gave us his Holy Spirit so we can learn how to love one another in a sacrificial way of love. Not just to say it, but a sacrificial love. God gave us his Holy Spirit so we can learn how to love one another. John chapter 13. John chapter 13, 14. No, 13. I apologize. John chapter 13 and in verse 34. Jesus Christ says here, A new commandment I give you, verse 34, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Why is this so important? Why is this so critical? Verse 35. So by this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. You know what? If you're in trouble, it's easy to turn your back, stay home, and say, you know what? I'm not coming to church anymore. You guys offended me. You know what? It's me and my God. I'm done. Or just, hey, walk away to somewhere across the street. This is not a God-sacrificial love. If you have God's Holy Spirit, we learn how to do this. Not right, not right away. Over time. John chapter 15. John chapter 15. Because Christ will define this sacrificial love, what it's all about. John chapter 15, verse 12. This is my, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have 
loved you. Verse 13. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. To lay one's life for somebody. Now, look around here. Am I willing to die for my wife? Absolutely. Am I willing to die for my children? Absolutely. Any time, any moment. Am I willing to die for Brother Dylan? I don't know. (laughs) Am I willing to die for Brother Bob? I don't know him that much. Nice conversation. I don't know if I would just go ahead and, you know, sacrifice my life for him. Would I do it for Sister Linda? What about care? What about you? Look around. Do you have God's Holy Spirit? Are you willing to sacrifice your life for one another? Or... Just enough that I say something, you'll be just offended. Just walk away. Do we have God's Spirit or we don't? Why would God give us His Holy Spirit? There are some reasons. So we have to make sure that whatever we do, everything is motivated by the love for one another. Not for our own desires and wishes, but for the love of one another. Let's go to the last point. I don't remember when I started, but the last point. Why God give us His Holy Spirit? And in the end, and this is not an exhaust, exhaustive list. There are so many wonderful other things that God gave us to the God's Holy Spirit. This is just the touching. That's just the scratching the surface. The last one, the sixth one. So we can experience the power of the resurrection to come. So we can experience the power of the resurrection to come. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, verse 10. And if Christ, if, and if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. Verse 11. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit, who dwells in you. If you have the Spirit of Christ. If you have. And I, you can look at some other scriptures, but I don't have time to go through all of this, so let's just me. I can give you later, during the sermon discussions, the last two scriptures. But let's conclude here, because... Probably my time is way over an hour now. Let's conclude here. 
Why God gave us his Holy Spirit? What was the point one? So we reestablished the connection of our creator, right? Something that we lost in the Garden of Eden. Now this reconnection is possible again. Once we reconnect, what's the point number two? We can keep God's law. Right? We can keep God's law. What's the point number three? Once we're walking and immersed in God's law and try to understand this, we try to share these blessings to other people by preaching the gospel, preaching the good news to other people. Once we preach, once we teach, once we make these disciples, God doesn't leave us alone. He says, I'll provide the necessary resources that you, that you need in terms of gifts. I will empower you with different gifts that you need to accomplish all of this. So the spiritual gifts. As we exercise all our spiritual gifts, we just learn how to love one another with this passionate, fervent, sacrificial love. Not just the love of words that we use it, you know, in our English language. You know, I love the weather, I love the road, I love my car, I love my neighbor, I love my, you know, anything. I love my wife, and I love my bike, and I love my job, and I love my... You can say all we want. But what God, God expects is this sacrificial love. And through all of this, what is so important to have God's Holy Spirit? When it comes resurrection time, God knows who is, who are belonging to him. And these people will be called the dead or alive. The dead will be first one. Those who are alive will be caught up in a split second, in the twinkling of an eye. So, in the end, the greatest gift that every single one receives, received from our physical parents is the gift of life, the physical life. But this gift of light is very important, what we, whatever we have. Whatever we do with this gift of life will determine what we will do in the next life, the eternal life, which is much better than the, just the physical life. The best gift you can ever get from your Creator is the gift of the Holy Spirit. What you do with it, it's up to you. It's in your hands. God said, I'm giving you a power. This is a power. To love somebody and die for somebody, this is a power. Not everybody can do it. Not everybody can do it. There are a bunch of churches, different religions, and all kinds, you know, even in our denominations. They can't agree on anything. Imagine if you would ask some of them, if you would ask some of the leaders... If this kind of a leader, if I go to, let's say, uh, universal, galactical, the best, the self-sufficient church of God, and ask this leader of this organization, this leader would die, let's say, for our group, what answer would you would get? So my question is, do all these people have a God's Holy Spirit? That's for you to judge, not for me and for God. So, brother, let's conclude here just one scripture at the end. I have to give you this scripture. First Corinthians chapter 15. And I'll be done after this. First Corinthians chapter 15. Two verses. 57. First Corinthians chapter 15. 
Verse 57. But thanks be to God. Who gave us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. May God bless you all. This has been a podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. We hope you are blessed by it. To find out more about CGI Burlington, visit our website at cgiburlington.org.